Well, good morning, New Hope. Glad that you're here with us this morning physically and also glad that you're here online with us as well. I think actually as you exit today and on your way out, there's going to be an Operation Christmas Child table and you can pick up boxes, information on how to get materials, whether it's going to be a boy or girl or whatever. But I would encourage you to do multiple boxes. It's, it's incredible to be able to send it across the world. My family personally has actually gotten two letters back in the history time that we have done this from individuals that have received those boxes. So it's an incredible opportunity to influence someone across the world. Well, today we are starting this new series in November here called Wealth, W-E-L-L, parentheses T-H, right? A little different approach of what is wealth. Now, if I placed before you abundant wealth as far as money, possessions, trips, experiences, or if I placed before you this morning your relationship with your spouse, your kids, your extended family, your neighbor, your coworker, what is it you would choose? What is it you would choose this morning? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we live with this choice. Possessions or people. We live with this choice, right? I want to share with you a couple illustrations of this. Years ago when our kids were smaller, my wife got up to come to church. I always leave a lot earlier, so since day one, she's been a single mom at pretty much every church service we've been to. But she got all the kids in the car, in their car seats and that, and the battery was dead. She's like, ah, got them all ready to go to church. The battery's dead. So she got all the girls out and they walked over to the neighbors and knocked on the door. And she said, oh, excuse me. You know, we were getting ready to go to church and the battery's dead. Could we borrow one of your cars? To which the neighbor said, sorry, we don't do that. And my wife was just like, awkward. You know, the girls were all like sitting there, what? And so she was just like, so she just gathered them up and went home. But it's a story that shows the tension of possessions or people, right? This last June, my last daughter got her license and so we're out and about just traveling around and, and running errands in town here. And we decided to take our 67 Mustang convertible. And she was driving around town. We pulled into Walmart to run in, get some things. She ran, got her makeup stuff and that. And I was getting guy stuff. And this lady said, oh, hey, I just saw you on 95 drive by in that Mustang. And she said, was that your daughter driving? And I said, yeah, that was my daughter driving. It's just, boy, you must be a really nice dad to let your daughter drive that car. 
What was she saying in reality? What was she saying? She was making a comment about, hey, the car for possessions is more important than the people. Boy, you must, in a sense, she was giving me a compliment, I think. You must love your daughter more than your car or whatever, right? But those two stories reveal to us that there is a tension in our lives. And so where would you be this morning? And I think for most of us, at least to save face, we'd say, well, yeah, you know, people, people. Oh, yeah, yeah, people. But if I had the ability to have a mouse up here from a computer with the little arrow, and sometimes when you're working on the computer and that, you can take that little arrow and you can hover over an, a word or object and something else pops up. Or if you hover over a word, the definition will pop up and tell you what the definition is. I mean, if, if I could like take a mouse and the arrow and like hover over you personally and get really where you're at with, is it possessions or people? <laughs> you know, where would it be this morning? You know, if, if the little bubble came up above you and said, oh, okay, that's where they are right? Or where I'm at. Because there's this, this tension. You know, a lot of us would say, well, ideally, I would like to stand right in the middle. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to be right in the middle. But can we? I mean, Jesus challenges us in Matthew 6, 21. He says, hey, where your treasure is, that's ultimately where your heart's going to be. And so can it be in the middle? I don't know. So in this series called Wealth, W-E-L-L, then T-H, we are going to wrestle with what is true wealth. What is a wealth that is well for our soul, right? That is well for our soul. And the reason I always want to talk about this topic or whatever during this season is we're heading towards the holidays, we're heading towards Black Friday or Christmas and that, where all of a sudden we become this people who need all kinds of stuff, right? All of a sudden, well, we need that, I need that, I need that, right? And, and we get a little whacked out, I think, sometimes. So let's start off this morning first looking at the whole idea of wealth and worldly wisdom. In Randy Elkhorn's book, the treasure principle, he makes these interesting observations out of Luke chapter three. John the Baptist is preaching to the crowds of people who've gathered to hear him and then also be baptized. Three different groups of people ask him what they should do to bear the fruit of repentance. Now, what does it mean, bear the fruit of repentance? It means what would be a picture of a new life for me? When I repent or I confess my sins and I'm baptized and I decide to follow and I start following Jesus, what would be a picture of my life changing, of a difference in my life? You know, the whole idea of repentance is you're going one way and you realize that you're going the wrong way. And so you confess it, you admit it, and now you're asking turn, and you go the other way. And so these individuals are asking John the Baptist, hey, what would reveal 
us living differently, going the other way after we confess we've been going the wrong way, we confess our sin. So John gives them three interesting answers. His first answer is to the general public. He says, everyone should share food and clothes with the poor. What would be fruit of repentance of a changed life? Share food and clothing with the poor. Secondly, he's talking to tax collectors in the crowd and he knows how they are. And he says, tax collectors shouldn't pocket extra money. Interesting. Then he talks to the soldiers in the crowd. Soldiers should be content with their wage and not extort money. Interesting. He responds to their question of what should be the fruit of repentance? What should it look like? And each answer is related to money and possessions. But no one asked John that. They asked him what kind of life would reflect a spiritual or life transformation. So why didn't John talk about like other things? How they should love their spouse or, you know, take care of their kids or watch their language or whatever. The reason being, it's because our approach to money and possessions has this prominent position in our lives. And John is acknowledging this and showing us money and possessions play also a role in our spiritual lives as well. John couldn't talk about one without talking about the other. He couldn't talk about our spiritual life transformation without talking about as well money and our possessions or our stuff, right? It's interesting when we look at the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's watching Jesus as Jesus is coming through town. Jesus sees him and says, Zacchaeus, I need to go to your house for dinner. And he's at Zacchaeus's house and his buddies are there. The religious leaders recognize, oh, they're all the sinners are together with Jesus. But Zacchaeus's life is transformed because he is with Jesus. And he stands up and he says of this transformation. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor and, I have, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Interesting answer, right? I'm sure there were people knocking on his door the next day. Hey, I heard <laughs> four times, Zacchaeus, Right? If we look at the early church and how they behaved because now they have met Jesus and given their lives to Jesus and are are following him, the Jewish converts, it says in Acts 2.45, sold their possessions and gave to those in need. And they had everything in common. I mean, this was a shift in their living and the way they lived and the way they thought and how they handled their possessions and how they related to people around them. 
We read in Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And so we, we get this picture that maybe John the Baptist is calling for these Christ followers to do this shift in their lives from a focus on possessions now to a shift to focusing on people, on relationships. So in this series on wealth, I want to get us thinking where we are at in our personal approach to our faith and how it intersects with our finances and with our stuff. I think it's important. And I'm not going to like tie up this whole idea of following Jesus and wealth in a nice little pretty bow and give you all the answers. In reality, through this month, I just want us to wrestle with it, come before God with it, and allow him to direct us to the right answers. Because I don't have it all, and I am with you in the wrestling, in the tension at times of, man, possessions, or is it people? So let's look secondly then, and move from wealth and worldly wisdom to wealth and godly wisdom. So we see this paradigm shift that is to take place as we choose to follow Jesus. And the Apostle Paul gives us some challenge around this in how we are to live now in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let me read Romans 12, 1 to you. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, or brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, meaning what Jesus did for you on the cross, what God did for you in sending his son to die for your sin, to forgive your sin. In view of God's mercy, what he did to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. What Paul, in a nutshell, is, is saying here is how we daily live is now to bring worship to God. As we pursue what is holy and pleasing to God, this is ultimately our act of worship. Now, we, we just got done singing, and a lot of people sometimes think that, hey, worship is singing. And I do that for 25 minutes on Sunday, and I worshiped, Right? But in reality, what Paul is saying here is that, no, every nook and cranny of your life, whether it is how you do your work during the week, how you think towards your spouse or your kids or your neighbor or your coworker, how you drive to how you spend your money, to how you hold your resources or borrow them out, whatever, it all is worship to God. All of it is worship to God. Worship is how we live daily, even down to our finances and our stuff. Now, in order to worship God with what is holy and pleasing, then there has to be this shift in us of thinking and belief, which then moves to action. So Paul goes on to say this in Verse two of Romans 12, he says, 
Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what Paul is saying here and what John the Baptist was saying earlier is that when we decide to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord, there's this paradigm shift. There's this new way of thinking and this new way of living that is this picture of fruit of repentance. This transformed life. And it comes in the way of how we think and how we act with our possessions and how we think and how we act around people. And Paul says, hey, there needs to be this transformation and it comes through the renewing of your mind. It comes from leaving your old way of thinking, the worldly way, and thinking like Christ in a new way like him. As we walk with Jesus, our thinking is changed and we will know more and more what God desires for us and how we should live. But the beauty of this is that as we change more and more, we recognize it not only brings glory and worship to God, but it brings good to our life because we find that we're at a greater place of peace and contentment because we have left our old life behind, our old way of thinking and acting. And now Jesus has put onto us his way of thinking and acting, his approach to possessions, his approach to people. I love the picture we get in John chapter 4 when Jesus comes up with his disciples to this well. The disciples go into town to get food. Jesus is sitting at this well. It's like noon. And this woman comes. It's the story of the woman at the well. This woman comes, high noon. She's there because she doesn't want to go when other people go because she has this history, right? And Jesus is visiting with her and comes to the conclusion, realizes that she has had five husbands already and the sixth man she is with is not her husband. And Jesus makes this statement. He says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, Jesus realized in her life that she was thirsting after something. She was continually running after something. She was on her sixth man. You know, either it was a position of power, it was wealth or, you know, a good-looking guy or security or whatever. But, but the other five obviously didn't quench what she was looking for. Now she's on her sixth. But it's this whole picture to us as well, that as we, as we pursue possessions, finance, wealth or whatever, in the wrong way, it's this picture 
that Jesus is challenging the woman, so it's never going to th- satisfy. It's never going to quench. It's not going to provide. I have something for you. I have what will quench your thirst. And he gives this picture. And so through this series, we are going to be focusing in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And Paul's writing to Timothy, his uh, understudy, or he's mentoring Timothy, or we talk about spirit Timothy about here. Paul and Timothy are in a spiritual friendship, and Paul's just teaching Timothy about Jesus, about this renewing of his mind and this shift of how Jesus would live. And he says to him in verses six through eight, but godliness with contentment is great gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Man, godliness, when you know the next right thing to do. And with contentment, you understand truly what is important in life. Is it people over possessions? For we brought nothing into the world and we will take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, hey, we'll be content with that. And he's calling Timothy to this paradigm shift of thinking and the shift of how to live. But if we're honest again with ourselves this morning, we wrestle with that. Seriously, <laughs> food, and, food and clothing, that's it? I can't be content there. And we wrestle with, is it possessions for us or is it people? There's this story about a girl whose family was very wealthy. One day, her father took her on a trip to the country where he had aimed to show her, to show his daughter how poor people live. So they arrived at a farm of a very poor family. They spent several days there. On their return, the father asked the daughter if she liked the trip. Oh, it was great, dad, the girl responded. Did you notice how poor people live? The father asked. Yeah, I did, said the girl. The father asked his daughter to tell him in detail some of the impressions that she got from the trip. Well, we only have one dog, and they have four dogs. In our garden, there is a pool to swim in, while they have a river that has no end. We have expensive chandeliers all throughout our house but they have stars above their head at night. We have a huge veranda to play on. And they have a whole horizon, said the girl. Then she continued. We have only a small piece of land while they have endless fields. We buy food. They grow it. We have a high fence for protection of our property. And they don't need it. As their friends protect them. The father was stunned. He could not say a word. Then the girl added, Thank you, Dad, 
for letting me see how poor we really are. You see this paradigm shift? And so through this series on wealth, I want to challenge our viewpoint, including myself, and what is true wealth. Benjamin Franklin said this, contentment makes a poor man rich. Discontentment makes rich men poor. Where are you at with your wealth? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that your word speaks to every area of your, our lives because you want to transform it to look more like Jesus, less like ourselves. And in this whole area, we all wrestle with it because we live in a world where we wrestle with it. And so I pray that you would direct us by your word, by your Holy Spirit, and that each one of us would recognize what truly is wealth, W-E-L-L-T-H. In your holy name, amen.